I'm Tom Williams. Welcome to Access Utah. Quoting now from the Salt Lake Tribune, administrators at Copper Hills High School are getting a lesson in cultural sensitivity after a Disney-themed homecoming parade resulted in accusations of disrespect for American Indian history. According to the the Tribune, in addition to Little Mermaids, uh, Caribbean Pirates, Beauties and Beasts, the parade included a Pocahontas float, complete with a teepee and cheerleaders dressed as American Indians, as portrayed in the animated film. And then the next night, during the school's homecoming football game, members of the Copper Hills American Indian Student Association collected more than 190 signatures on a petition calling for cultural awareness and tolerance. And James Singer, a Utah resident who blogs under the title Urban Navajo, wrote a post that criticized the parade float as racist and hypersexualized, similar to what uh, we see around as the Pocahontas costumes sold during the Halloween season. And he said the issue of cultural appropriation is systemic and larger than a single school's homecoming parade. It permeates our society, he says. And we're going to talk about this, our thanks to the Tribune for for that piece. Uh, So we're bringing in now James Singer, who's a third-year Ph.D. student at Utah State University in labor markets and social policy concentration, working under the advisement of Dr. Christy Glass. And for his dissertation, he's researching education and economic policy for the Navajo Nation in the new labor economy. Uh, He's worked in public policy with the Diné Policy Institute in Arizona, and he lives now in uh, Salt Lake City. James Singer, welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. Great to be here. We also bring in Dr. Cynthia Saavedra, who received her Ph.D. in education from Texas A&M University. Currently, she's an associate professor of English for speakers of other languages and diversity education at Salt Lake, at Utah State University in the School of Teacher Education and Leadership. She was born in Managua, Nicaragua, moved to the United States with her family at the age of eight. And it was her experiences as a transnational immigrant and second language learner that led her to take an interest in the education of minoritized students in the U.S., Dr. Savedra, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let me start with uh, James Singer. How did you become aware of this? Uh, this this is this has exploded in the media and social media, and as you said, uh, a funny post on your blog post, which by the way, urbannavajo.org, you said your second most popular post was about uh, increase in prices at the uh, the laundromat, <laughs> and and that didn't get that got like fifty. Yeah. And the response to this post, uh, uh, you know, thousands or something. Yeah, it's up to 3,500. Right. Uh, so how did you become aware of this? So I got a, a insight from my sister. She was on Instagram and she saw this meme. You know how they have those memes? And one yeah. of those was like, uh, Copper Hills High School, our, our costume, or excuse me, our culture is not your costume. And it had a, a picture of the, the cheerleaders on this float. And she just said to me, hey, we should... Write, write something about this, like write a letter to somebody. And I thought, oh, I guess we could do that. I'm not really the kind of person to do that, but sure, let's do it. So I wrote kind of an op-ed type piece that I knew would never get published anywhere, so I put it on my blog. Mm-hmm. And it hit. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. And you've, you've been all over the media. Um, and, and you got response from, I think, the principal of uh, Copper Hills High. And... The principal has never directly contacted me. He's kind of gone. He circumvented me and went mm-hmm. to my advisor. Okay. Um, and then he tried to copy me on one of the emails, but it wasn't my actual email address. But okay. I eventually got the email. So, yeah. Right. Okay. So, this is, uh, um, I guess, unfortunately, especially from your point of view, is something that's not incredibly unusual. Uh, the, the cheerleading squad decided to dress up as, you know, Native Americans. There's sure. a teepee on the float. Right. Uh, faces, I think, in some cases, the young women painted. Yeah. 
Um, and and the costumes are a little bit scanty. You know, kind of you use the word sexualized. Sure. Um, so uh, let's let's address this head on. What's what's wrong with this? Well, this is a a direct of. Uh, uh, what we call cultural appropriation. This is when something from one culture is taken by a dominant culture. And the main part of this is this power differential where the the dominant culture is able to take this thing and use it how it wants to use it, usually in a negative and stereotypical way. And so what the problem is here is that, I mean, this is not just Copper Hills High School. This is endemic across the entire United States. We see these like college campuses, usually at these frat parties where they dress as cowboys and Indians and they dress as sexy sexy Pocahontas. And what that does is it essentializes all Native Americans. So there's there's over 500 Native American tribes in the United States. And it just says, oh, you know, oops, excuse me. Uh, they all kind of go down to this headdress. We're all Plains Indians. We all wear this kind of, of garb. We all have teepees. And that, that's just that's just not true. Mm-hmm. And so this feeds into uh, the sexualization of Native women. Uh, when we look at how they're dressed, um, you know, we see that there's a lot of sexual violence against Native women. This goes into that as a kind of a, a tacit agreement socially that we can we can do this to Native peoples. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should mention here, and you have some statistics in your in your post. Native American women are, I think, what three times more likely to be uh, sexually assaulted. That's absolutely in, in their, true in their lifetimes than than non-Native American. Especially those on on reservations, we see that most of those are actually perpetrated perpetrated by non-native men. Mm-hmm. So these are up to uh, seventy to eighty percent of, of of the perpetrators come from off out of the reservation. They they take advantage of these native women because they have these notions of we can sexualize, we can dehumanize the native woman. Mm-hmm. Let me turn to uh, Cynthia Saavedra. What, what what did you think of this this um, yeah. You know, a, a parade float. Yeah, it's well. About every time around this time of the year, we see these uh, kinds of portrayals. Unfortunate, these racist stereotypes um, that have complete disregard or trivialize historical oppression. And I think that's probably one of the things here is the sort of the social and historical amnesia to people's uh, suffering. And so for me, it's always very painful to see these kinds of things. And then I saw it because, you know, uh, Jamie and I are also uh, Facebook friends, and he posted this, and I read his blog, and then I saw the, the pictures. And it's, just, it's awful to think that we're still uh, doing these kinds of portrayals uh, for people that we probably don't even know anything about, but we just go on Disney versions of uh, who they are. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's just a very sad moment. And it also speaks to the need to explicitly teach about racism and about um, historical oppression, which is, I think, right now, one of the things that we're trying to take away from education. We want to focus on teaching academics, teaching academics that we don't want to talk about or we don't want to teach explicitly about social inequality, historical oppression, or racism or any of the isms. Mm. Let's bring that in right here. Let me let me turn to first to uh, James Singer. Um, Copper Hills pointed out that they they have a, a yearly cultural diversity assembly. Yeah, I think twenty years ago this would be something that'd be celebrated. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember when I was in j- junior high, we had the first kind of cultural assembly where I 
participated with a lot of the Latino groups and we danced salsa and all these different things. And um, there weren't many Native Americans at my school to actually put on some kind of, you know, our performance. But this is a big thing, right? We thought this was something great. But fast forward a little bit, right? And now we're starting to realize that that is a, a demonstration of just some material aspects of culture, right? These are things like the food, the costumes, the dances, but it totally negates some of this immaterial cultural part, which is the ways of thinking, the ways of doing, why we do these different kinds of things. That's the context. And these these kinds of assemblies, the cultural assemblies, are good in that it exposes people. But on the other hand, it's, it's, it's used as a way of consumption, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the people who are sitting there in these auditoriums are not actually participating. They're sitting there, they're looking at that, they can consume that. Right. They have this what we call the colonizer gaze or the, the pornographic gaze where they're able to consume that without being actually a part of that. And that, that totally dissociates them. Right. It puts up this barrier where it's like I am in a position of power where I get to look at this. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you have the responsibility to teach me about every aspect of your culture. And that's a lot of, of responsibility to put on on the students mm-hmm. who are already undermined by a system that is racist in its nature. Yeah. Dr. Savedra, what, what would you suggest? What, um, what, what well, beyond, beyond assemblies, yeah. what, uh, what should happen? Well, there's, it's, it's a multiple systems kind of thing that has to happen. So we have to address it at the educational level in the teacher education level and then call it out uh, when we need to in, in society and social media, keep calling it out like we do. So that's important. But I think on the educational level is, for example, the importance of ethnic studies for everybody. I just can't imagine why that is seen as such a bad thing. And I know that it's tied to ideas that is anti-Americanism, and it's not. Um, but the importance of, of ethnic studies so that we can see, you know, quote-unquote, each other and learn about our histories, learn about the, the ways of being and the ways of thinking that might be different from dominant perspective of West or Western um, culture or Western way of thinking. Um, and so I think that that's at the level, and it needs to be infused and throughout the educational system. And so what happens, what Jamie's talking about um, in the the, the cultural sensitivity or, or the assembly that you have, it, that's a checklist. That's the thing that you do that says we've covered diversity. Now let's move on to the real learning, the, the, what happens in the mind. And I think that separation of the mind and culture is what I think drives this divide between what we can do in the schools because this is not a mind thing. This is, you know, this is something that happens out there. It's not having anything to do with the cognitive development of children or students. And so we need to start undoing those binaries and see the social-emotional aspect of learning and teaching as an integral part of the cognitive part that we try to, uh, to teach about or to embrace in the school. So I think those are some of the things, and I, you know, we could, I can go on and on and tell you so many things <laughs> yeah. that we can do. Um, but I think it starts on doing a lot of assumptions about what learning means, a lot, undoing assumptions about uh, holistic education and not just focus on developing or becoming number one world power or is competing in an economic or world market. That, that's sort of our focus in education, and we forget all of these other things. Um, and so, 
you know, a lot of times an undergraduate in teacher education will take, and I, and I think of teacher education since I'm a teacher educator, will take maybe one course on multiculturalism, maybe. So this is, this is alarming to me that we don't have this more explicitly woven in to, for example, teacher education. Uh, I want to take a break. Before that, I want to have uh, James Seeger comment on on, on this. Uh, what 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 do you think should take place? This is a systemic type of thing that we're seeing. I totally am agreeing with Cynthia on this one, in that um, because of what happened at Copper Hills High School, this wasn't just uh, teenage girls going out and deciding to put on these Pocahontas costumes. There are there are are social agents in place that are supposed to stop these kinds of things from the cheerleader uh, coaches to teachers to administrators. And because there hasn't been this kind of education to our administrators and educators, they don't realize what's going on. They have no idea. And so these types of things slide by. Mm. Let's take a break. When we come back, uh, much more on this. We're talking about the uh, the cheerleader float at uh, Copper Hills High School for their homecoming. The cheerleaders dressed up as uh, Pocahontas-type uh, characters uh, in Native American uh, costumes, painted faces, a teepee on the, uh, on the float. And uh, I, I'm guessing, well, I'm sure they were thinking, uh, you know, this is fun. Mm-hmm. And they, they certainly didn't see a firestorm coming. A uh, firestorm did come, mm-hmm. and uh, part of this is uh, James uh, Singer's uh, blog. He blogs as uh, uh, Urban Navajo, mm-hmm. urbannavajo.org. We're talking with James Singer, who's a third-year uh, Ph.D. student at USU, and Dr. Cynthia Saavedra, uh, who uh, teaches in the Education uh, College at uh, Utah State University. We'd uh, love to know what you think. Uh, join us on Twitter. We're using some hashtags here. Our culture is not your costume is one hashtag I want to talk about when we come back. Um, what's the what's the hashtag you're trying to try out, James? Uh, no more Johnny Appleseed. Jo- no more Johnny Appleseed. We'll, we'll explain that one as well. Um, there's an interesting one, um, hashtag idle no more, which yeah. is a, a, a First Nations in Canada is where mm-hmm. this, this came from. Um, and I'll, I want to get a response from uh, both of my guests to uh, a quote I'm seeing in the Salt Lake Tribune here. When we, when we come back... This is father of one of the cheerleaders who says that these girls didn't go out there with any intentions whatsoever to offend any culture. And he's sort of implying this is overblown. Uh, we'll talk more about this when we come back following the break. This is State of the Arts. Every home should have a work of original art, according to Alice Merrill Horn, an early Utah legislator who ran for office in 1898 on a platform of advancing the arts. Representative Horn wrote legislation that organized the nation's first state arts council, established a statewide art competition, and appropriated state funds for a collection of work by Utah artists that continues to this day. She encouraged school children from around the state to contribute nickels and dimes from their milk money to buy art for public places such as schools and libraries. That early investment has paid off. Utah is now home to more than 9,000 professional artists, and Utah's art galleries are a $159 million industry. State of the Arts is brought to you by the Cache Valley Center for the Arts in Logan, Utah, with a cooperative gallery featuring the work of more than 30 participating artists. Details at cachearts.org. Failure is just a normal part of doing business, you know. If you asked me at the beginning of Tesla, 
Would I have thought that we'd be here? I would have said no. I thought we'd most likely not succeed. I thought we'd most likely die. I'm Kai Rizdal, Tesla CEO Elon Musk, next time on Marketplace from APM. Join us tonight at 6.30 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. You probably have heard about this, uh, the Copper Hills uh, High School Homecoming Parade. Um, In addition to Little Mermaids, Caribbean Pirates, Beauties and Beasts, I'm quoting from the Salt Lake Tribune here, the parade included a Pocahontas float, complete with a teepee and cheerleaders dressed as American Indians, as portrayed in the animated film. And the next night during the school's homecoming football game, members of the Copper Hills American Indian Student Association collected more than 190 signatures on a petition calling for cultural awareness and tolerance. Uh, In the meantime, James Singer, Utah resident, is one of my guests on the program today, who blogs under the title Urban Navajo, wrote a post that criticized the uh, float as racist and hypersexualized. And he said the issue of cultural appropriation is systemic. It's larger than a single school's homecoming parade. It permeates our society, he says. And uh, this issue blew up, including on the blog post, 3,000 some odd, right, I guess, uh, views of of, of that particular post, Mm -hmm. James. So we have James uh, Singer with us. He's a third-year Ph.D. student at USU. And we also have Dr. Cynthia Saavedra, uh, who teaches in the College of Education at uh, Utah State uh, University. You're welcome to join, excuse me, join the conversation. And here's how you do it. Uh, Toll free number 1-800-826-1495. During this hour, we promise we won't hit you up uh, for uh, a pledge during our fund drive. Uh, So this is a pledge free right now. 1-800-826-1495, unless you want to, uh, while you're giving your comment or or question. You can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. So I mentioned before uh, for the break, uh, James Singer, this is uh, Matt Hunsaker, quoted in the Salt Lake Tribune. His father won the cheerleaders. And I'm sure his attitude is shared by probably many. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said these girls didn't go out there with any intentions whatsoever to offend any culture. He said people are entitled to their opinions, but he objected to people criticizing his daughter and other students who were following instructions for a theme chosen and approved by student leaders and, and uh, school staff. Yeah, I feel for Mr. Hunsaker, really I do. Um, you know, his his daughter got caught in the middle of this kind of firestorm. And and really this is um something that we have to take seriously. These are these are kids, right? These are teenagers. They're they're just doing what their their advisors are telling them to do. It's just that their advisors what they're telling them to do is is racist. Mm-hmm. Like it's not right. And yeah. and and I, I understand the argument that many people say, Well, you're you get upset, you need to be more thick skinned, you're being oversensitive, why are you blowing this up? Well, the reason is, is that th- that is one of the tactics that um, uh, the dominant culture uses to maintain the status quo. This is a very uncomfortable subject when you talk about race and racism. And when you're upsetting that balance, you're saying, wait, something that I did was wrong. The immediate response that we have is, wait, 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 no, I, I have to put up this defensive wall. I can't, you can't say that I've done something wrong because, you know, that it, it's embarrassing, right? It makes me feel real bad. But we have to realize that this is something that, is actually quite quite harmful for the native students, right? They they're they're already going through a lot of different kinds of of um, colonization and cultural appropriation throughout their lives, and having this added stress of saying, "Hey, we can now uh, make fun of your culture." This is not actually honoring our culture, mm-hmm. right? I don't think that if you were to have those students who dressed up as as Pocahontas were to go to a powwow among natives and say, "You know, we're honoring you," 
I don't think they'd feel very comfortable doing that. And mm-hmm. and when you when you realize that, then it's not really honoring. Mm-hmm. And I understand, yes, this was a Disney themed parade, but it doesn't it it's not one person's culture, right? That, I mean, that's that's the main thing. When we look at Beauty and the Beast and and um, Little Mermaid, those are our mythical types of things. Native Americans are real. We're living. We're a, a real people, and we have survived uh, enormous amount of odds. We're probably the most thick-skinned people there are. So it, to call someone overly sensitive is kind of insulting. Mm-hmm. Let me turn to uh, Dr. Saavedra again. Um, and uh, I, I, we uh, have had in the last couple of years on this program uh, Columbus Day-themed programs. We interviewed a author two years ago of uh, Biography of Columbus. Last year, uh, Charles Mann was on with his books, 1491 and 1493. We We weren't purposely looking for a Columbus Day themed program, but I think it's, you know, it's appropriately we bring this in here and, and, and we, you know, talk about decolonization. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's very appropriate today to have this conversation. As I think Jamie put it somewhere, it's decolonizing the airwaves. That's right. Um, yeah, hashtag you're trying out, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think that's what actually education ought to be moving towards. It's a decolonial or a decolonizing way of educating uh, our students. Um, to move away, you know, one of the things that, that I see, you know, this is racist, this is systemic, but I can't. We cannot talk about this um, without talking about anti-Indianism, right? The, that has been going on since settlers, and, and who we still are, by the way, many of us, are on stolen land. So when we look at it and from that perspective, like we can't ignore what we have done in the United States to Native American people, to American Indians. Um, genocide is what we've done. So when we celebrate Columbus Day, we are celebrating a genocide of a group of people. And so this, this is very hurtful, and, and I'm glad to see that I, there's a lot of movements right now in the United States and some cities, not as many as I would like, that are actually turning it around and calling it Indigenous People's Day. So that, to me, is, is powerful to see that counter-narrative uh, out there now, um, in, right now in, in social media, to kind of see a lot of the, these things right now. Um, and so, and then the other thing that, that it's hard to ignore in all this is the extreme individualism. And this is the reason why we say everybody's entitled to their own opinion. What I do doesn't hurt you, and what you do doesn't hurt me. But when we look at it from another perspective, let's say even if we can contemplate it, more indigenous knowledge or indigenous ways of being, and Jamie, correct me if I'm wrong here, we are interconnected. Mm-hmm. And so what I do does impact what what does impact you. And so if we can start doing a decolonizing framework in our education, we begin to see this interconnection between humans and also that what we do does impact others. And so, you know, this is just a small example, but that decolonizing frame is looking at that, looking at our systemic, um, looking at our structures, look at our institutions and how they perpetuate this anti-Indianism. Or what uh, a colleague of mine at the U, the University of Utah, Dolores Calderon, calls, um, you know, we have this colonial logic. So how to how to undo this colonial logic? But we can't do this in that one little diversity course that we can check. Okay, I took the diversity course. Now I'm a diversity expert. 
and and do that in that. It has to be, like I said, woven in many courses addressing this, these kinds of ideas in math education, in science education, in language arts, in social studies. It's a, it's a frame that needs to be there. Hmm. James Singer, I wonder where it, uh, there's another question I want to go into, but I wonder what you think about Columbus Day. But uh, is this just, not, just another day? Is it something that's, I don't know, painful? Is it something, I don't know. Uh, I drove up today from Salt Lake City, and I saw on, that UDOT had put, um, it's Columbus Day, uh, discover your turn signal, or something to that effect. And I just like, where do I begin with this whole thing? Like, yes, number one, Utah, we don't have great drivers when it comes to, to directionals. I totally get that. But on the second part, you know, we think that's cute. I mean, it is clever, but at the same time, we've already given in to that dominant framework, the colonizer framework, that Columbus discovered America, right? It's like as if we were, all the natives were here standing, and we just didn't look down and say, oh, here, here's America. Mm-hmm. It's right here. We just never saw it. No, no, we knew it was here, mm-hmm. right? But it's just that dominant framework that's overcome that. Um, but with Columbus, right, um, my dad said, and he was trying to be funny too, he's, he's like, um, uh, you know, Hey, hey, uh, Jamie's dad. Would you do you celebrate Columbus Day? And he's like, I don't know. Would you celebrate Hitler's birthday? Like, would you mm-hmm. do that? Like, mm-hmm. this is this is the person who opened up um, genocide to the, the Americas, you know. And this this is much much larger on its scale than what many people during uh, World mm-hmm. War II suffered. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we continue to deal with mm-hmm. daily. Mm-hmm. Let me let me treat that. I was going to go to that next, so this is a good segue to it. Uh, on your blog post, uh, you you have a hard hitting comparison, mm-hmm. um, it, hard to refute. But but I think some people might might think, oh, this is he's going over the top. Let me just quote from you. Here. Mm-hmm. Allow me to make a comparison. You're making a comparison to the float at Copper Hills uh, High School. Would you see girls dressing up in uh, black and white striped sexy concentration cap costumes outfitted with cute stars of David and putting on those bald latex caps to hide their hair to look like Jewish inmates at Auschwitz dancing around to songs from Fiddler on the Roof? You go on to say, of course you wouldn't. That's absurd. Yeah, you wouldn't do that. That would be absurd. It would be dumb. Like Now, the, the comparison is hard-hitting. I realize that because this is something that we've experienced as Americans when we went over there, and we have maybe people who are part of our society now who have immigrated over because of those things. This is part of our society. That's the main thing is that we have forgotten the magnitude of what has happened to American Indians. We've somehow othered them to the point where they're no longer part of our history. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a subplot in what we feel as uh, part of American exceptionalism. And so, I mean, th- that's the whole thing there, right? Right, yeah. right. Okay. Uh, so, Dr. Saavedra, um, what have you talked a little bit about this? It's, it's, it's a hard-hitting comparison. And, uh, but as you know, as I, and when I read that, at first, uh, it hit me very hard. Mm. But then, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, the statistics are 90% Native American population was decimated, uh, or, you know, over the years mm-hmm. by disease, but also by concentrated, um, you know, extermination and, uh, mm-hmm. and forced uh, movement. Uh, exact, mm-hmm, yeah. Exactly. It was a systemic attempt to get rid of... Uh, American Indians. So I, I I agree with Jamie. I think that comparison, um, we have, in, in the United States, we have more sensitivity towards what happens um, in, in the concentration camps. Uh, we have this to the Holocaust. We have that sensitivity. But just like Jamie says, we've forgotten, again, it's that historical amnesia. 
but why have we forgotten? Because we don't teach it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just recently, I'm sure you, you, well, you know, it was out one of the textbooks, I think McGraw-Hill, the slavery, mm -hmm. those words are getting taken out of history books. So it's, they're called workers. You know, we brought workers. Wow. So when you start, yeah, so when you mm -hmm. start, and supposedly they're going to change it, but we'll see. But so it starts at that level. Um, even I remember uh, coming here as an immigrant child. I didn't learn anything about Native Americans, very just Thanksgiving. Um, and then I remember that my real education on African-American history was because I took an African-American history class in college. I was a history minor. But I did not get a sense of anything that had happened during the civil rights movement. And it's embarrassing to our educational system that we don't focus on this. So this is why we don't have the sensitivity, the understanding of a whole group of people that have been systematically oppressed and continue to be oppressed. And we can do these things because we, we see them like the Disney movie in Pocahontas. We see them in these Thanksgiving feast dinner pictures. That's what we see and that's what we think is the truth uh, to their history. Mm. Um, James, I wonder uh, if I could maybe, maybe try to you know parse out the motivation for some of this airbrushing that goes on mm. uh, and you know removal from from curriculum and, and such. Uh, uh, maybe as a society, as a culture, we, we just get tired of the guilt. You know, you, you see this with racial matters. You know, at long last, we have an African-American president. Can't we just certify that we were post-racial? And, you know, and then you then you have shootings and, and the like, and we realize, okay, we're not. And, you know, a whole host of issues, slavery, one of those. Um, so on this issue, um, I don't know what you think. It, it, it's, you know, we, we, we I, could, I could hear a lot of people saying, well, it's, I, I realize it's a problem. It's a horrible thing in our past, but I didn't do it. You know, mm. maybe my grandpa didn't do it. And, you know, that's way back. And can't we just get past this? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's just something that um, Dr. Eduardo Bonilla Silva talks about in one of his books, uh, "Racism Without Racists," right? Where it's kind of like because the nature of racism is no longer how it was 50 years ago. Right? The nature of racism has actually changed and morphed over time. We don't see people. I mean, we do see people doing awful things, but we, we, we attribute that mostly to the past. And, and so in order for that to, to actually reflect upon what society is going through now, we had to look at power differentials, right? Yes, those things did happen in the past, but we're still feeling the effects of those very much today, mm -hmm. right? And so to say that, oh, just forget about it, you know, I don't, I, we have every right to be upset about this. Mm -hmm. This is something um, that society wants uh, – they want us to confront as, as natives the right way, right? And it's something that gives the power to the dominant framework. And this is something that says, no, we have to take this back. We've been silenced for so long, you know, for over 500 years. We've been the one that's been undermined. We, we can say these things and we can say, yes, I'm hurt by this. This is hurtful to me as a person, to James Singer. Mm -hmm. This is a hurtful thing. Mm -hmm. And you can't deny that. Mm -hmm. You can't deny that. I, I'm just, I just wonder, where's the humanity? Right? Where is the where is that compassion that we see each other as human beings? Like, this is hurtful to you. I'm sorry. Like, I didn't realize that. But instead, it's turned around and say, it doesn't matter what you think. That's dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. That's dehumanizing in 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 its fullest, right there. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, Dr. Savedra, I think we do we do put up these icons. These, you know, we we I guess we have very busy lives. We can't com- we, so we have to stereotype and, and compartmentalize. And I think sometimes it goes a little too far. And so, Native American, you know, image, whatever, you know, fill in the blank. And that's how we mm-hmm. think of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why you know I have a colleague who who here at, at the U and Emma Mon who says I just can't visit schools during Thanksgiving season <laughs> because it's it's that imagery of uh, of erroneous history being taught, and so it's this nice picture, this nice uh, history that nothing happened, um, that we all got along and it was great. So I I understand. Um, this the pain that Jamie's talking about. I, I and it, it's it's sad to say again. It's this extreme individualism. It's sad to me that we can't see that we're part of this pain together, and that we could learn from our mistakes. Um, there's a radio personality, Jay Smooth, who I actually show my students his work on on uh, undoing race or on racism, racism and race, and he talks about that we take it very personally when somebody might say you're a racist. Or, or what you said is hurtful to me because we, we live in a society where to be a good person, it means that you're almost perfect. So when somebody calls, calls you out on something, then something must be wrong with you and then you can't be that good person anymore. So he says that we should treat these, these ideas, uh, not like whether you are a racist or not a racist, but that we should treat it like, he, he says, dental hygiene, you know, where you constantly have to clean your teeth, brush your teeth. And that's, as a society, we can start even thinking about that, that this, these ideas, even I'm not exempt from my biased thinking. Mm-hmm. As an as a, as a associate professor in, uh, in education that teaches diversity, I'm not exempt from uh, biases that have been ingrained and have been socialized uh, as normal in, you know, in my thinking and in my actions. And so I constantly have to do the reflecting as well. Where's my, where am I showing bias? Where is some of the racism that I may have, right? Um, and so I think that, that, that it's okay to have this conversation. Um, and then being called out, of course, it's, it's again, it's a reflection of the person and not seeing it as a reflection of an action that you did. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's a tough conversation to have, but we need to keep having it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, um, you know, there might be some weariness on the part of people they say okay what you know what what am i supposed to do what am i not supposed to do as a culture mm-hmm. maybe that's the motivation behind this extreme individualism i'm just going to take myself mm-hmm. out of that because <laughs> i get tired of okay i'm not supposed to do that i'm supposed to do this yeah. you know and then the list grows um I, james what what would you say to that <laughs> the list grows yeah uh, welcome to being uh, someone who's oppressed, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's all sorts of things that we yeah. we have to do too. It's like, well, what can I say? What can I not say? I mean, we're, we're both, we're, we are in this together, but the 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 the, the difference is that there's this uh, element of privilege that's now questioned. It's like, wait, I have this privilege as being part of the dominant racial structure. Like, I, I have this now. I didn't do these things to these people, but I think that awareness is a very good mm-hmm. step in the right direction and saying, well, now that I know that wearing a Pocahontas costume is racist, I will not wear that in the future. Mm-hmm. That's all that is. 
right. it's, it's not like saying, I have to overturn the entire uh, structure and give all the land back to Native Americans. We'll take it back, by the way. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not what we're saying, mm-hmm. right? We're, it, it, that is not what's going on here. It's just saying we have to realize that, that there is privilege. It is there that we, we have to try to overcome some of the negative aspects of those things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And education comes in, doc, doesn't Dr. Saavedra? If, if, if I get this in my education and it's a part of my background and my foundation, then I don't have to carry around this list with me of yes, no, yes, no. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and and when we are more thoughtful, more mindful about our actions, then it's easier that when we do slip, because we all do, Mm -hmm. to be patient with ourselves, to be patient with those trying to work on themselves, right? Then we get to the part of the compassionate way to work with these issues, right? So then, but when we're mindful and thoughtful and can say, you know, I, I think you're right, I, I never thought about it this way, then we can begin the work of rebuilding, um, of reconnecting with each other as human beings, uh, as human beings that are not perfect, that we will make mistakes and it's okay, but the awareness is not there to begin with. And so it's like you, you're all of a sudden out of nowhere, these things seem to appear and they're really hard to, when somebody calls it out, it's really hard to work on the issues because you have no awareness and your first reaction is to protect yourself, your integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, awareness. And that's why I said it has to be talked about uh, even with very young children and they can handle it. Mm-hmm. I talked to, when I was a third grade teacher, I talked about some of these issues with third graders who were mostly um, English language learners, Latino um, immigrants. And we talked about these issues of colonization, and they got it. It wasn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't the way I would, I would lecture in a, in a class or the way we would have it in a graduate class, but they got it, and they understood it because they also experienced and lived it. And at the same time, I think predominant students, uh, white, Western, European uh, heritage students, they would also get it because it taps into our humanity. But we have to do this from, or from the early ages mm-hmm. on. Let's take another break. We'll come back and talk more about this. We're talking about the broad subject of cultural appropriation. It's based on an incident that happened at Copper Hills High School. We have an email I go to uh, when we come back from break and uh, more on this. I'd love to get your thoughts. Have you had an experience with this? So what are your thoughts as we've been talking here? Uh, a couple of ways to reach us. You can call us toll free at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, uh, or you can uh, email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter uh, at Utah Public Radio. I'm talking with James Singer, who uh, blogs under the blog Urban Navajo. You can find that at urbannavajo.org. And Cynthia Saavedra teaches in the USU College of uh, Education. More following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Cache Valley Center for the Arts. Presenting the Austrian-based band Nozzle Brass, combining choreography, composition, and comedy. Saturday, October 18th at 7.30 p.m. in the Ellen Eccles Theater. Information at cashearts.org or 435-752-0026. Next time on Philosophy Talk, bioethics, myths, and realities. Scientists have now mapped the entire human genome. 
So how much longer do we have designer babies? A long time, Ken. You've been watching too much science fiction. But doesn't the very idea that you could choose all the traits of your offspring worry you? Depends on how real that possibility is. Bioethics, separating myths and realities. Next time on Philosophy Talk. Wake up with Philosophy Talk, Tuesday at 4 a.m. on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We've reached our last segment with James Singer, who is a Ph.D. student at Utah State University. He blogs as Urban Navajo, and you can find his very interesting blog post there, urbannavajo.com.org, I should say, uh, on this Copper Hills incident. Uh, we're also talking with uh, Dr. Cynthia Saavedra, who is a professor at uh, Utah State University, teaches in the College of uh, Education. Um, let's, let's go to um, an email here. By the way, you can email us here at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. A few thoughts, says Betsy. I, along with the guests, feel like it's appropriate to take the focus off of this one particular high school and rather focus on the big picture to inform communities of what typically happens and maybe what can change in the future. Thank you for this eye-opening conversation. My question is, how do we better educate our youth beginning at elementary-aged children if not with the light and fluffy Disney stories. That's uh, Betsy. Thank you for that. Let me start with Dr. Saavedra on that. How, you know, we get beyond, get beyond Disney, maybe not the best to get your history from Disney. Uh, what, uh, what would you suggest educate our youth beginning with the elementary aged? Yeah. It's, like I mentioned, I used to be a third grade teacher and a lot of time was I listened to their conversations. I constantly was, was uh, sort of thinking about, how they're constructing their world. And when I saw a moment that I needed to address, I would address it through, in particularly social studies or language arts, so we'd have these conversations. So one of the times I listened to my students talk about how they wanted to have blue eyes and be blonde, because even in Mexico, in the Spanish soap operas, in the telenovelas, they have, the protagonist is usually very light-skinned, blonde, and blue eyes. And so they wanted to be that way. And so I started a conversation with them of why why so? And so because it's more beautiful than brown eyes and dark hair. So in there, I started, you know, paying attention to my students and started infusing ideas of why we may not like our skin color, why we may not like our brown eyes. So a lot of times, it's not, it's not a curriculum that is set. It's not a curriculum that you can just put here, insert. You, there's a lot of sensitivity on the teacher's part to do this. But when it is time to talk about you know, England coming over, let's, let's, let's provide them with some different information. Ask them, and there are children's books, you know, there's a beautiful children's book called Encounters that talks about the perspective of, of people coming over uh, or, you know, settlers coming over and from an Indian perspective or a Native American perspective of what they saw. And so I think that, you know, children's books can be a great source to start the conversation with children. The other one that I think is the one we miss the most is allowing children to bring who they are and what they know into the classroom to make connections with the actual content. And so you have your multicultural resource right there and then. It's allowing children to be part of knowledge production in the classroom, even as young as five-year-olds. We, they all are, are experts in their world and then having conversations with children. So I think that, you know, of course, and we teach all courses, you know, in, in the in the 
in our ESL program, we teach whole courses on, on integrating these ideas. But this is where we start, having the teacher having the sensitivity, being aware of her community, and also finding resources, because there are resources out there. Um, and then the most important part, allow your students to bring what they know into the classroom. James, I want to get your comment, uh, and uh, let me reread this part of uh, Betsy's uh, email. Uh, she says that uh, it feels like it's appropriate to take focus off this one particular high school, rather focus on the big picture, inform communities of what typically happens, and maybe what can change in the future. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do we change? What, what should we change? And, and how can it change? Look, I thought it was really great. A couple of years ago, I was invited to speak to second graders at Beacon Heights Elementary in Salt Lake City um, to one of the classrooms there about the Navajo, right? And I thought it was great because, you know, I kind of am an expert now. I'm, I guess I'm at that age where I've read enough and I know things. And mm-hmm. so they had me come in. They didn't put it on the child to try and teach their peers, do you see the difference there? And so I was able to talk about some of the ways that we do things. But then I, I, t- I told them one of the coyote stories, one of our traditional stories. Mm-hmm. The snow had already fallen. I told them this is when we do these kinds of things. And we played one of the games. And I had the class involved. And I, you know, I threw kind of curveballs at them, different ways of thinking. And I could see in their minds. Like they were realizing this is different, but this is not bad. Different is not fearful. Different is actually quite fun and interesting. And I think that the children can handle it. And I think that was what was really interesting about how these teenagers handled it at Carberry Hills High School. The cheer team apologized to the Native American club, and the Native American club forgave them. Mm. And I think that it is, it is an, an immensely important point, because while the rest of us adults are sitting here bickering over what constitutes racism or why are we sexualizing our children or all these other things, the kids are like, yes, we've gotten over this thing. What are the next steps, right? And I think some of the next steps are what Dr. Savita was talking about, including these things into our curriculum um, from an early age. The kids can handle it. I've seen it, right? But And, 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 and the, the students all the way out up until high school. I think some, some things we can focus on are like during the November month, have that be our, our Native American month. Really take hold of that and not just say, oh, look, here we are. This is wonderful. We, we had people here, but we came here because Brigham Young brought us here and this is our promised land and now they're gone, right? Yeah. Talking about like books from Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz, like an indigenous people's history of the United States, critically acclaimed book that gives a completely different perspective of the same historical facts, right? Uh, Charles C. Mann, you had him on last year, Mm -hmm. 1491. That was actually the book that pushed me off. Like Mm -hmm. that was my starting point. I wish I would have had something like that when I was younger. Um, Things from uh, Joe Fegan about racist America or Eduardo Eduardo Bonilla Silva with Racism Without Racists or even Bell Hooks teaching critical thinking. All of these books can be incorporated and the the children, they can understand those things. Mm -hmm. We just have a couple of minutes left. I want to get this email in. This is from Sue. What do the speakers mean by decolonizing education? Can they explain the history of colonization which leads to this necessity? Let me talk with Dr. Uh, throw this Dr. Savedra first. Well, it's a big whopper to think about it in that term, but I think the decolonization is uh, understanding how, first, you know, the way I treat it in my diversity class, we first have to understand what is Western ways of knowing? What is Western epistemology? What influences our thinking, our being, to this point? And so we make these connections, and students start seeing that their understanding of the world is one perspective only. Even even science, even the hardcore sciences, it's one way of understanding the world. 
So when we start doing that, then we're, then we're opening up ourselves to examining other ways of being and doing. And maybe we'll, we'll even see or, or reflect that, wow, I didn't realize that my way of being is actually, or one aspect of my way of being, because not everything is wrong, but, but one aspect of my way of being is very hurtful. For example, the extreme individualism can be very hurtful. And so in that regard, you sort of start challenging this Western epistemology that has taken hold around the world for how to, how to live in the world. And this is where you can begin to start talking about decolonizing that epistemology or decolonizing that way of being. Um, and so calling it out for what it is, one perspective in the world that has dominated the world for over about 500 years. And so the decolonizing is to chip away and chip away at that. Um, and then uh, learn from those who have been oppressed. So indigenous knowledge, for example, bringing in more of that and understanding what that is. Um, and, you know, like Jamie says, we can bring experts, we can, or have the conversation, have our students read, have our students watch different kinds of media to discuss these kinds of ideas. And so to me, it's that first understanding how in, how implicated you are in a Western in a Western frame of reference. And then you can open yourself up to other ways of doing it. And to me, that's sort of the beginning, because decolonization is never complete. I don't think it can be. You can probably ask Jamie, he'd probably say the same. Well, we are out of time, so we'll we'll, uh, leave it there. Good discussion. Thank you so much. Uh, We've been uh, talking uh, with Jamie Singer, who uh, blogs uh, as Urban Navajo. You can find his blog at urbannavajo.org, and he's a Ph.D. student at uh, Utah State University. Uh, Thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure, Don. Thank you. And we'll put your reading list up on our website so people can, the one that you gave us, so we can go and read uh, some of those books. Uh, Dr. Cynthia Saavedra uh, teaches in the College of Education at uh, Utah State University. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And uh, thanks for listening to Access Utah. I hope you'll join me tomorrow. I'll be talking with Dr. Douglas Johnston. Uh, he has a very interesting center. He, he's, a, he's a former uh, submarine, naval submarine commander, but he's gotten into diplomacy and religion. He said religion is um, not used as much as it should be in back-channel diplomacy. He's had some successes, and he heads up the Center for Religion and Diplomacy. We'll be talking about that tomorrow on the program. Thanks for listening today. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. 